Support for today's episode comes from Hexclad. I hosted the Jane's Beard Awards um, twice, actually. I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling the truth. And Hexclad is the official cookware of the James Beard Foundation. So I was so happy to hear there are Dinners on Me sponsors. Hexclad has revolutionized the cookware industry with an all-in-one hybrid pan that gives you the convenience and cleanup of nonstick, the versatility of your grandma's cast iron, and the durability to last a lifetime. Whether you want to make that perfect steak dinner on date night or ditch that greasy pan from your college apartment, Hexclad has you covered. James Beard celebrates incredible chefs annually with their prestigious awards that I have had the privilege of handing out. Again, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. And it's no surprise that Hexclad is their official cookware. They are a chef's dream and I, I just, I love cooking with them. I feel so professional when I do. Hexclad also has a lifetime warranty. These are literally the last set of pots and pans you will ever have to buy. Trust me when I say your partner, your family, and all your dinner guests will thank you. So, Chef, now is the time to upgrade that kitchen. For a limited time only, our listeners get 10% off their order with an exclusive link. Just head to hexclad.com slash JTF. Support our show and check them out at hexclad.com forward slash JTF. Bon appetit. Let's eat with Hexclad's revolutionary cookware. It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, I feel a real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because it's formulated based on the latest science and maintains high-quality standards. Even Justin has started drinking AG1, and he tells me that it really helps his energy level, helps with stress, helps his gut health, all that good stuff. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner to the Dinners on Me podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com slash dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, five-time Grammy Award-winning parody musician, the legend himself, Weird Al Yankovic. I was watching Iggy Azalea from the side of the stage. She's doing, you know, performing to the masses. And I said, okay, I got to do this. So as she's walking off stage, and she's not even all the way off stage, and I'm like, Iggy, hi, it's a weird Al Yankovic. This is Dinners on Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. So Eric Stone Street had just done a cameo in Weird Al Yankovic's video, Tacky which is a parody of Pharrell's hit song, Happy. And Eric came back raving about how wonderful Al was. He's such a cool, down-to-earth and thoughtful guy. 
When an opportunity came around for me to meet him for dinner with Eric one night, I jumped at the invitation. And I've remained friendly with him and his wife, Suzanne, ever since. I have family members who occasionally forget to wish me happy birthday, but you know who never forgets to send me an email or a text on October 22nd? Al Yankovic. (laughs) Same with holiday cards. We can always count on a ridiculously thoughtful and hilarious card from the Yankovic family every year. It's so good to see see you. Of course, of course. Al is a vegetarian, sometimes vegan, so I wanted to find a spot where he wasn't relegated just to a small box on the menu. No, I wanted to take him somewhere where he could order anything his little heart desired. Plus, Cafe Gratitude is the stuff of Los Angeles legend at this point. The ordering alone, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just just wait. Cafe Gratitude is celebrating 20 years, and looking at how mainstream it is to eat vegetarian and vegan now, I mean, White Castle has Impossible Burgers. You have to imagine their foray into food at a time where it was very much not the mainstream must have had a big impact. Okay, let's get to the conversation. And then I was like, what were were my last correspondences with you? And you are so good about every year on my birthday. Of course, of course. Sending a little... Email, yeah. Yeah, I've got to you know, pick up the slack with uh, with Paul Rubin's gone now. I know. Were, were I was also on his yeah. email list. Yeah. I met him when, uh, through Joe Maganello, and um, I, I didn't know him very well. But, yeah, he was so good about sending Christmas cards yeah. every year. And the birthday. Did you think, like, the birthday yeah. cards? Like, I went out to uh, to dinner with him one time, and he was like, oh, sorry, I got to get his, like, timer set up. I got to get out some birthday greetings, you know? <laughs> I feel like you must have been kindred spirits. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I was trying to think of um, how we initially met and— I remember it as being with Eric Stone Street yes. in Hawaii, right? I, was that where we actually met? I, I remember because you guys know. were doing like a, a shitting in Hawaii for an episode, or yeah, we we we, we shot it. You were just randomly there together. <laughs> no, actually, Eric and I were there together randomly. We had shot an episode in Hawaii, yeah, as our one of our I think it was the finale of our first season, uh-huh. and then um, we. Eric and I decided to, to go back to the place where we shot and, and have a vacation there. And we didn't plan it, but we ended up going at the same time. Oh, I kidding. with Justin, who I was just dating at the time. Uh-huh. We were very new still. And he with his girlfriend at the time. And it was kind of like, oh, well, well shit. Like, we're both planning, like, romantic getaways. And then how I remember, he's like, well, I'm going to go visit Al in their place. And I was like, I think I want to come with you if that's all right. And... That's where I first yeah. met you, I believe. Yeah, that, well, that would have been it, I guess. Um, did I come to the set before that? I don't remember. I don't I remember. But um, you've definitely come to the set at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, we we lived on the east side of the islands. We would have been like two hours away. At least we had dinner at Mama's Fish House. That's right, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. That, that was a blast. Now, I went to the set. This probably was afterwards. Um, uh, who was? I'm sorry, I don't remember the name. Who, who's the the uh, actor that played your child? In Aubrey. Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she was new. She was like the new Aubrey. Oh, wait, no. What happened? Were you there when we had the babies or were you there when Aubrey took over like in like season three? I, I think when she took over. Okay. So, so yeah, we, had, after. we had we had twin babies for the first two seasons right. and then we fired them. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You know, you got to like the re- realities of life no, no, have to no. hit you early. You know, um, no, they it's were a hard business. It's like hard you- business, kids. You got to learn. <laughs> no, they were very unhappy. So, um, they, they were, the thing is that they were such great babies, and then uh-huh. the minute they got in front of the camera, they would just start yeah. screaming. And we're like, you guys, this is torture. Yeah. Um, so we hired Aubrey. So you must have been there for Aubrey's yeah. first Yeah, and she, she was pretty new. And I, I know you, she needed a lot of coaxing because she kept yes. saying things like, don't you want to win an Emmy? Come yeah. on. 
That's so hilarious. I do remember one of the first episodes she, um, I think it was the very first episode she did. She, I had met her over the summer when she tested for the show. And so we had a little bit of a, you know, rapport and she was meeting Eric for the first time uh-huh. and we were halfway through a scene and she couldn't, she couldn't figure out why we had to keep saying these same right, lines right, over right. and over and over. Yeah. And Ed O'Neill was in the corner and be like, yeah, you and me, kid, you and me. <laughs> and, um, and then at one point she stops us in the scene and she goes, are we real people? Because we live in a fake house. And I was like, that's deep. Wow. You know? <laughs> Let me think about that for a yeah, while. Let's, let's all think about that yeah. for a while. Like, I think all Hollywood <laughs> needs to sit down and think about that for a while. So, yeah, it was really fun watching her um, kind of, like, figure out this weird thing we were doing. Yeah. And kind of also, like, seeing that whole process through her eyes. It was, like, a, a really kind of cool thing to, to watch her try and piece together this weird, wacky profession. And she got really good. I remember being on the set, and I remember Steve Levitan uh, asking my opinion or something, like you were, you were trying to figure out some kind of gag for the scene, and he was like, Al, come here, Like, what do you think? And, like, <laughs> and they kind of froze, because they're like, I, I, I'm honored that you would ask, but I, you know, I was in the writer's room for about 10 seconds. Oh my God, he brought you into the writer's well, room? I mean, that was, uh, you know, metaphorically. Oh, yeah, okay. Gosh, I was, that would have been intimidating. Yeah. Jesus, I don't even like to go in there if I have like a question about something that doesn't involve writing. And like, I see them all around the table. I'm like, I feel like I should not be here. And they always like cover like that they had a board with like ideas for future episodes. Right, and they would right. always like rush over to it and cover it up. So I like wouldn't like yeah. be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, you know, they're just like trying to brainstorm and like right. we'd come and be like, mm, I'm seeing something about me shirtless in the shower, and I don't know if I'm like, you know, I don't know, I don't know I, about yeah, that. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you you've eaten here, right? I have, I have. Um, you know, I, I, I this is actually a, a, one of my favorite places, except yeah. I, I always feel embarrassed ordering because as you look at the menu, oh, it, yes. it's. I yes. am enchanting. I'm yes. exuberant. I am delectable. Like, I know. I know. So, wait, so how long have you been a vegan? Uh, well, you know, I'm not like a, a, a strict vegan. I'm vegetarian. I heard you cheat on cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll cheat on the dairy every yeah, every yeah. now and then. Uh, but I, it's great to come into a restaurant where like I can literally have anything, anything. on the menu. Yeah, 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 That's yeah, a great yeah. thing. And so uh, 92 is sort of when I made the switch. So it's okay. been a while. So you have tried bologna. I have. <laughs> I I speak from experience because on lunch I, meat. Okay, good. Because when I was, I was like, now I don't even know if he's tried bologna, which I always pronounce bologna, which yeah. is, you know, probably yeah. wrong. That's uh, probably the New Mexican I, way I, of I saying it. I know the hoi polloi says bologna, but <laughs> I have to keep it real. <laughs> I love that. What are you going to get? Um, I, I looked at this online. I think I'm going to get I Am Dazzling and maybe top it off with a... Uh, <laughs> We're just discussing, oh, hi, yes. Oh, hey, how you doing? This is Tyler. Hi, how you doing? I'm Al. I remember that because that's my middle name. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, oh, I, great. I did have a question for you, though. Yes. When you started working here, did you have to memorize both the names and, like, what they are? Like, if someone said, I want the the Japanese bowl, yeah. you have to know that it's this? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of... That's like a whole other level. It was. Now I know, like, if you say you want the pure, I'll know what it is, or vice versa, so... Very Let me know cool. if you have any questions. Do you need I'm good. I think I already know what I want. I, I always get the same thing here. I'm going to get the I Am Humble, which is an Indian curry bowl for people who are listening. Uh, want to know what okay. I just ordered. <laughs> oh, and I want the lemonade. Which, yes, you're good. You. Well, that one's probably pretty yeah. easy to remember. <laughs> and I would love to get I Am Dazzling. <laughs> and you are. With, thank you. With avocado. And a uh, I Am Magnificent. The <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's saying we're out of stock. 
bar magnificent. What? No. Yeah, we're, we're all. Ow, you're not magnificent. magnificent. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. There was a lot of magnificent people who came in today and took all the. <laughs> What do I, what do I want? I'm sorry, what do you think? I what? like the um, Illumini, the Grace. That's really good. The Grace smoothie. It's like a coconut cream. Oh, that's, let's do I Am Grace. Okay. Why not? I might need a coffee, too. I am courageous. Just a black coffee. Did you want any milk with that? Um, I'll take some milk. Do yes. Like oat, almond, coconut. I'm going to do uh, oat. Oat. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you very much. I actually knew nothing about Dr. Demento. Uh-huh. And so I want you to first explain who Dr. Demento is to me. I mean, I've, I've since, like, you know, looked him up. But he's obviously someone who was extremely, you know, instrumental in you becoming who you are. Yes. Um, first of all, is he still around? He is. He's still around. He was on uh, terrestrial radio for, for decades. And uh, that stopped a while ago. He's still doing a show every week, uh, but it's an online thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I started listening to a show in the early 70s when I was just a preteen. It was a kind of thing where, like, everybody in school was like, have you heard this Dr. Demento guy? He plays all this crazy music. And I listened uh, for a while um, until my mom heard some of the songs that he was playing. And a few of them were, like, double entendre, kind of, like, you know, a little risque. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, and after that, I had to listen late at night with the uh, uh, covers pulled up over my head. Sure. With a little yeah, yeah, AM, yeah. FM, you know, alarm clock radio next to my ear. Yeah. Um, he knows a lot about music. He's got, a, like, a master's degree in, in rhythm and blues music. Uh, he's a huge record collector. He's got uh, over a quarter million albums just in his house. Wow. Um, and, and he's famous for playing demented music. Just So he's basically a DJ. Yeah, he's he's a he's a DJ. Like I I met him for the first time when he came to my high school because he did an after school presentation on wacky music, basically. Oh, it's so interesting that your parents were like, "This is too risque for you to listen to," and then he actually ended up coming to your school. Right, so like, the school was like, "Please come on in." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and I, I would send him tapes in the mail. Uh, you know, I was 15, 16 years old, and I was just recording songs in my bedroom on a little tiny cassette tape recorder, sure. just me and my accordion, yeah. and they were horrible songs. I mean, they were not good. I'm not proud of them, uh, but Dr. Meno played them on the radio because, um, and, he, and he told me, he said, if, if this was some kid playing a guitar, he would have thrown the tape in the trash. Like, right. who cares? Like, everybody plays the guitar, but yeah. this was some some crazy kid with an accordion, and you got to give this guy a leg up. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It, it attracts your attention, for sure. And so, I was, um, you know, as a kid around that same age obsessed with musical theater and I would that's what I was doing in my bedroom was you know playing soundtracks for to, or not soundtracks the Broadway community would hate if I just said soundtracks <laughs> original cast recordings yes thank of, you oh my god <laughs> I just heard like a thunderbolt of lightning come at me from New York City um the original cast recordings of musicals and I would kind of like dream up like how I would direct them and like I, I remembered I had a whole production of Phantom of the Opera in my head the oh, way wow. it existed to me and then when I went to go see it in New York I was like well this is not right not no the Hal, in your head the Hal Prince um, you know Tony Award winning production of Phantom of the Opera that ran for 25 years on Broadway was not how I imagined it to be <laughs> You know, so I definitely, like, relate to, you know, being that kid in, like, you know, your room and just holding yourself away and finding that thing that you connect to. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, we'll hear about how a song about a family car got him on the radio, and we'll commiserate about being nerds in elementary school. Uh, and high school. Okay, be right back. Don't you just love it when someone looks at you and says, 
Hmm, something's different about you. What were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake than ever. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and wider for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes, and you know you can trust them because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lohm, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying, something's different about you, but in the best possible way. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, I feel a real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes rhodiola and B vitamins for an energy boost. I just sort of added it to my morning routine. You know, you brush my teeth, I floss, I have my AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. Were these original songs that you, I know one of them that he put on the, the radio, because um, I actually listened to him talking about you, and he said, you know, listen, it's not one of his best songs. He certainly went on to write better songs, <laughs> but this was like his first thing. Sure. Um, but were you, the songs that you originally started writing, were they parodies or were they original pieces? I, I think I, I was always doing both. I would send him like stupid parodies and I also would write original songs. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, not very good. I think the first song of mine that he actually played on the radio was called Belvedere Cruising. That's right. That's, yeah. that's the one he mentions. And, yeah. Not a good song, but it was about my, my, my family car. Like my, my parents, <laughs> when I was a small child, they bought this 1964 big black Plymouth Belvedere with red upholstery. And it was our family car until I took it to college and, and destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad there's a song that yeah. will memorialize um, it. But, but, but again, I mean, Humble Beginnings, that yeah. was one of those kind of things. Also, I can, I can only imagine as a kid, how old were you when you were listening to Dr. Men? Like 12-ish. Like when I first started out, um, like it, it felt like all my fans were 12 years old because that's all the fan letters that I got were from 12 year old boys. Yeah. And you know, my, it's, I have a multi-generational fan base now, sure. but to this day, like the, the running joke is like, uh, I bet I can tell you what your favorite Weird Al album was, which one came out when you were 12 years old. Yeah, that's the that's, that's pretty that's, accurate. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the scale. I'm going I'm to try the smoothie now. Mm. What is that smoothie mm. called? Do you remember? Mm. I don't even remember what it was called. We're going to think it has a I am, coconut rim of some sort. I am dyslexic. I am Grace. I am Grace. Of course, I am Grace. Mm, quite good. My, my, my I am Courageous coffee is delicious. Mm. 
with the, I thought my side of oat milk, which is just oat milk. Uh-huh. It's not, it's not something special. It's just oat milk. Okay. Yeah. Did you have friends in, when you were younger, when you were, in, like, well, in grade school? I'll, yeah, I mean, I, it, it took me a while to find my people. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I had friends, but, you know, I was a, a prototypical nerd, so I, I ate by myself a lot at lunch. Yeah, and, me too. And my whatever friends I had were also kind of nerdy, but I just yeah. never really fit in quite so much. Yeah. I, I was much the same as you. I ate by myself. Um, I had a few people who kind of like left me alone, and to me, they, they were my friends just because they weren't tormenting me. Uh, <laughs> isn't that, it's a low bar, isn't it? a very low bar. And, thank you for not tormenting yeah, thank me. Thank you for not tormenting I like BFF. you. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and, and no, I mean, there was this one girl, Kayla Beatty, who I walked into first grade with, and she's still a friend of mine today, uh-huh. and I, I, I really, um, I treasure that, that friendship because she's my oldest friend. Yeah. But, um, I do remember like one one year in grade school, we had this chain link fence near my, um, thank you. I am humble. Oh, it looks lovely. Oh, wow, thank you. Anything else I can get for you? I think I'm good. Yeah. Now, what what is it you got here? This is the I am humble. Oh, the it's humble, their, right. It's their curry. The curry bowl, yeah. Bowl. Um, and the, the ironic thing is I'm just not very humble. <laughs> so hopefully by the time I finish this, I'll have a change of attitude. Um, but at our recess break, which was always my my the scariest time of the day, uh-huh. because it was like kind of like the teachers would disappear and probably go on their lunch. Unstructured. Anything happen. Unstructured. And I do remember like at times I'd be, I'd be like, where can I hide? Like, where can I just... <laughs> Station myself for the next 45 minutes where they can't find me and because you know it was like free play and it was like and I remember um, During that recess break I was wearing a hood and it was one of those hoods that snapped to your jacket So Uh you could remove it like when you don't need the hood anymore this group of kids um, took me to the chain link fence and Snapped me no. to the chain link fence. Oh, no. Snapped my wrist, but had the buttons on it. To to the like, I was basically crucified on this chain link fence. I mean, it's creative. It was creative. <laughs> Listen, they used the materials at hand right. to torture me. But then the bell rang for us to go back in. Oh no! And everyone left me, and I was stuck to this chain link fence. And I was just like, you know, I was like probably seventy eight pounds. Like, yeah. I was just trying to use my body weight to unsnap myself from this chain link fence, and I couldn't do it. So I just sort of. St- like waited and it was right next to um the eighth grade class which was the oldest grade in the school and they were probably also the most terrifying people to oh, me because i was you know maybe like i was in third or fourth grade at the time so my my classroom was like across the, the, the way and i just remember all these eighth graders kind of laughing at me and then the eighth grade teacher came out and like freed me and like of course i was embar- i was more embarrassed than anything sure. even though i did nothing now I was like, oh God, now the eighth graders know I'm like an outcast. Like, oh, oh geez, now the whole school knows. Oh, I'm a pariah in Our Lady of Fatima Catholic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which by the way is closing. I just found out. <laughs> because <laughs> of that? Because of Finally. that, yeah. Because <laughs> this has already gone viral. They were like, we have to close the doors. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember a lot of playing by myself during, uh, during recess where I would literally be like off, you know, way away from everybody else on the playground and in my head I'm acting out scenes from TV shows. And just like <laughs> making up my own stories, and right. I'm sure people were pointing at me saying, "Oh, who's the weird kid? Right, who's the freak?" Right, right. Did you already at this point have your accordion? Um, uh, probably, probably so, because I got the accordion like uh, like close to my seventh birthday. So I'm sure, yeah, that probably that probably didn't help. We have a couple more 
Oh, oh my goodness. Here's some exquisite coconut calamari. Wow. Oh, wow. And eclectic buffalo cauliflower. Oh, gosh. Wow. Lovely. Thank you so much. delicious. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Y'all don't have any allergies? Well, we'll find out. Allergies are good. Let me try that. Do you like spice? I like spice, but... I, I probably shouldn't say that because they've been on Hot Ones. And Oh, no way. I got to watch that. And uh, nah. I, got, I got crucified in the comments. They're like, oh, oh he no. was taking little baby bites. Oh. Like, well, <laughs> Were you? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> at some point, it's just sheer pain. It's like getting punched in the face, mm-hmm. you know? Um, was it college that you started like writing more of the parody stuff? Was My Bologna your first like parody song? My Bologna was the first one that uh, was a bona fide hit because prior to that, you know, I'd get my stuff played on the Dr. Demano show, and I would be calling up your crust line, disguising my voice, like, yeah, could you play that uh, song? <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> but my balloon was the first time that people other than me and my close friends were calling up your crust line and going, hey, this is really good. I want to hear it again. I'm wondering if, like, did any of like your friends at school know that, like, you were on a radio station? Because that's, like, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, my, the, the nerds at my high school thought I was pretty cool. Okay. But it didn't translate into, uh, like, BMOC status, you know? Uh, I got it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I know you, you befriended someone in college who sort of, like, stood up for you and became, like, your, your best friend. And then maybe was he a writing partner at some point? Um, he wasn't so much. A, you're talking about my friend Joel Miller, who Joel I'm Miller, friends with yeah. to this day. Um, he was not, not so much a writing partner, but... Um, he was one of the first people I ever played with on stage. Yeah. Like he'd sit around the freshman dorms in college and, and play his bongos, and I was like, "Oh, we should jam together." I just love that it's like you're a bongo and accordion duo. Yeah, that's, and that's, it's a great, it's a great combo. We, we just like freaking people out because you know, uh, we we were in San Luis Obispo, California, uh, and playing these um, coffee houses. There'd be like open mic night, right? And ninety percent of them were like acoustic guitar players playing like Dan Fogelberg sure, covers, sure. very fair. laid yeah, back, yeah. and the crowd, you know, futons, like digging the mellow vibe, uh-huh. and then Joel and I would come up with our accordion and bongos and go, okay, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> and we'd do like a medley of every song ever written in the history of the world, everything from like, you know, also Throck Zarathustra to uh, the theme from The Odd Couple, like just random things for, yeah. like, for like 10 minutes and people's brains melted. Right, mm-hmm. so I mean, I'm sure it was, people were like, what the, what the hell is going on? But that was something I learned pretty early on, was that uh, people thought it was funny when I would play rock songs on the yeah. accordion, because it, yeah. you know, you know, it was some kind of a cognitive dissonance. They couldn't figure out like right. how they could coexist. Because um, I, I, I taught myself to play rock and roll by listening to uh, Elton John albums and, and, and playing by ear and, and figuring out chord structures and writing, writing it down. Mm. Um, and you, did you end up playing for your school and ever, like, was there a moment that like you kind of got to prove yourself to them. <laughs> I or, think I, I think I probably played my accordion in like uh, elementary school talent shows and things yeah. like that. But it, there wasn't some kind of like Napoleon Dynamite moment where like this guy's amazing. Oh you no know? Way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in um, high school specifically, again, like I, I carried that that kind of nerd status and outsider status all the way into high school. Because um, it was going so well in grade school, I was like, "Let's just keep this going." Um, but you didn't wear any jackets with snaps anymore. No, I, I learned my lesson there. <laughs> um, and I, in my school, I didn't have a um, drama department. I went to this Catholic school that just—they they were very sports-centric, and that's just not what I was into. Mm-hmm. 
And so I started this speech and debate team um, where there was maybe like two other people that joined it. And um, I discovered this category in speech and debate called dramatic interpretation. Did you do this? I was I was on the speech team as well. That did was, you, were you really? I was. I did humorous interpretation. I did. I, well, I did both. Okay. I did humorous and dramatic. Yes. And I did expository as well. What's expository? It, it, it basically you tell all about a subject. And uh, I had a speech about hot dogs, talking about all the gross stuff that's on hot dogs. You just dogs. love food. Yeah, I guess. You know, <laughs> my whole life. Um, yeah, and I, I think I went to the state championships with a, with a hot dog speech. Same. At one point. Yeah. So I I went with um, I, well I did a few different pieces. I was big. I'm, I am a big Stephen Sondheim fan. But then I I was obsessed with Tony Kushner's play Angels in America, mm-hmm. um, which is you know has very heavy themes. Um, it's you know, about the AIDS epidemic in the '80s. It's about uh, uh, Reaganism. It's like you know it's 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 heavy. Well, I ended up going to to state and um, getting cut like pretty early because you know it was a very conservative, uh-huh. um, I think judging panel. So anyway. But I got back to school, and um, again, it was a Catholic high school that I went to, and my theology teacher, of all people, was like, you know, Jesse, we heard that you did really well with this. Like, would you perform the piece for the class? And I kind of pulled him aside. I was like, look, I don't know if this is the best thing to do. I was kind of looking out for myself. Approaching like, the bench, No yeah. one wants to see this. Yeah. And yeah, may I please approach the bench? <laughs> and... Um, He's like, no, I, I, I know what it's about. I'm aware of the play, and I think you should do it. So I did this piece, and Al, it was this weird thing where, like, these kids who, some of them I had been with since first grade, you know, and I was, I think, a junior or a senior at this point, saw me for the first time. They came up to me and, like, you know, I think you're really good. Like, I think you're going to be on Broadway one day, or you're going to win a Tony wow. Award. And, like, you know, all these things that they, they kind of saw my desires and, like, my potential. Uh-huh. And, it, and, a, and you're like, too little, too that's late. That's what I was say. In a way, it was a little too little, too late. Because I was like, you snapped me to a fence. Like, where, where was this then? I guess, I don't know, it felt like, I had been carving my own path for so long, and I had this vision of what I wanted myself to be, and no one else saw it, no one else accepted that, and I just have to only imagine that, like, I mean, from what I've read about, like, you, I mean, you were kind of the same type of kid. I mean, like, you became wildly successful for this thing that probably not everyone thought was very cool at one point. I mean, do you you keep in touch with any of the, the people that you grew up with? Um, I, I'm still friends with uh, one person I went to uh, high school with, and, and Joel Miller uh, of course, from college. Right. But uh, yeah, I remember um, uh, after I started, you know, getting play on MTV, I got a phone call. I'm not sure. I guess I must have still been listed at the time. Got a phone call from the guy that used to torture me in eighth grade, like made my life miserable, like every single day, PE class, just like, you know, just abusive. Right. And he would go, he'd go, hey, Al, how you doing? You know, I'm, things are really looking up for you these days. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, why are you calling? Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you made my life miserable. Yeah, and I think there's probably a bit of rewritten history there. Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, he was a friend of mine. Oh, yeah, he loved him. yeah he used to hang out all the time. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, well, by hanging out, you mean in a headlock? Because <laughs> yeah. that's how I remember yeah. it. Um, I didn't realize this at the time, but you were really one of the pioneers of MTV. I mean, you you embraced it in its very early years. Yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky in that my um, 
record deal got signed about the same time that uh, MTV started. I signed in 1982, and MTV kicked off around the end of 1981. And they needed content. Yeah. That was the thing, because it's like, you know, they decided, hey, we're going to start a 24-hour music video channel. I wish somebody would make some videos, right. you know. And, I, you know, my record label had enough money to do some very cheap music videos, and I, I made them, and they got played on, played on MTV just because they needed to play stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just kind of came along at the right time. What was your first music video, do you remember? Uh, the first music video was uh, Ricky, which was a parody of uh, Mickey by Tony Basil. Yes, yes. Uh, so I played Ricky Ricardo. I shaved the mustache. And, um, and then the second one was I Love Rocky Road. And then yeah. the third one was Eat It, which was a little bit bigger budget. But, man, that's the best money I, I ever spent because, I mean, that, that video changed my life. Like, all of a sudden, like, I was the Eat It guy. Right, you're on a whole new level, too. Yeah. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Al will tell us about how he got artist permission for some of his most iconic parodies. He definitely goes the extra mile. Okay, be right back. This episode of Dinners on Me is brought to you by BetterHelp. Okay, so listen, I was in my kitchen the other day and I'm I'm very particular about how I like things in the kitchen. I need things to be in a specific place. I like things to stay clean. So imagine my frustration when I saw that my husband Justin had left an empty can of cold brew and a wrapper from protein bar on the counter right next to the recycling bin. Why couldn't he just open the drawer with the, with the recycling bin in it and put it in there? This is something I need to get off my chest. Therapy is a very safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I mean, I've learned a lot from therapy and I have learned that, you know, I need to pick my battles. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can even switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com dinners today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dinners. Sad? Lonely? Dating life in the dumps? Want to spice things up? Well, me too! I'm Nicole Byron. I host the podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? See, listen, I have been single my whole dang life, and I can't figure out why. So on my podcast, I talk to comedians, actors, dating professionals, and even ex-lovers to discuss their dating life and figure out my own. We cover things like app dating, first date horror stories, sexcapades gone wrong. Truly, nothing is off the table. Whether you're single, dating, or in a relationship, there's something fun for everyone. Subscribe and listen to Why Won't You Date Me with me, Nicole Byer, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. I know you're famously um, gracious about asking artists for their permission, which, you know, you don't have to do because you're protected under, like, parody law or whatever. But, like, you, you always do. You always ask permission. Mm-hmm. Was the first song that you had, you had parodied? Was that uh, My Bologna? Did you? 
um, at, at the time, um, no, I, I didn't reach out to them because you know I was just, you were a kid, I was a yeah, 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 kid. yeah. I wasn't yeah. gonna go. Let me talk the record label. <laughs> no, I was just trying. I was just trying to get played on the Doctor Romano show. So but did you talk to did you talk to them after that became a hit? Did they reach well, out I, to I'll you? I'll tell you. Yeah, I I, I talked to uh, the band uh, after it had gotten some play on the Doctor Romano show. Uh, what is and, the band again? The band uh, is- the Knack. Yeah, the Knack. The Knack, and uh, they played Cal Poly where I was going to school. Uh, I think it was December 1979. Okay. So my, my Bologna had been out for, wow. for a little bit. And I don't know how, but I kind of weaseled my way backstage so I could say hi to the band. And I walked up to the lead singer, Doug Figer, and said, uh, uh, Mr. Figer, hi, I'm, I'm Al, Al Yankovic. And he goes, oh, you're the My Bologna guy. And he turns <laughs> to the guy who was right and says, this is the My Bologna guy. You should put this out. And he was talking to the vice president of Capitol Records, Rupert Perry, who just oh happened God. to be at that show. What? And he said, uh, okay. <laughs> Is that how it happened? Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was sort of a goof for them. I mean, they didn't think, like, this kid's going to have a 40-year career. It's just sure, sort of like, oh, sure, we'll sure. just do this silly little thing. Why yeah, not? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you that that changed my whole life and that it, it made me think, that was specifically what made me think, I don't want to be an architect. Because I went to uh, Capitol Records, to the tower. I know exactly where and, that is. And, yeah. you know, they, uh, Bruce Rabe, the A&R guy, was showing me around, introducing me to all the secretaries. Here's our newest artist. And it was all very tongue-in-cheek again. Yeah. They never anticipated doing more than that one silly single with me. Right. But it got me, I was looking at the Beatles gold albums on the wall and thinking, like, this is pretty there? cool. So <laughs> insane. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what made me really think I should, like, spend a little bit of time and really try to make this happen if I yeah. can. Yeah. Um, was the, um, did you reach out to Tony when you, when you wrote, uh, Ricky, the, the Ricky parody? Yeah. Cause at that, at that point, uh, you know, I had a, uh, a, a record deal I was signed and then we had to do things by, by the book, uh-huh. but, but like for, uh, uh, my Bologna and for another one rides the bus. Yes. I mean, thankfully Queen were cool with it. They're like, okay, um, you can do this, but next time you should ask. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Cause so th- this was the beginning of like your, your real career when you were taking off. It's like, I mean, I, you know, they didn't have any point of reference right. to you, um, and it was it was a lot easier once Michael Jackson gave his permission because uh, explain to me what that was like. You know, it was one of those things where I didn't feel like we would get any kind of response because you have to understand 1983, 1984. Michael Jackson is the most famous person in the universe. Yeah, like yeah. he's untouchable. He's crazy famous, yeah. and and I'm just like this faceless idiot from LA making stupid records. And we we somehow got the message uh, to him that you know I wanted to do this parody called Eat It. And uh, we heard back, uh, okay. And there's a signed contract somewhere with my signature next to Michael Jackson's signature saying that we are the co-writers of Eat It. Ow. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy, right? (laughs) That's insane. That's incredible, my God. I mean... did you have, did you have like interactions with him? Like, did you speak to him ever? Not not uh, before the fact. I, I met him on two occasions. I met him uh, at one of his video shoots, and I met him backstage at one of his concerts. In fact, when I met him backstage at his concert, uh, I had just uh, gotten the gold albums for Even Worse, which had the the fat parody. All right, last but not oh, oh wow, we have a mushroom pizza. Lovely. Um, that lots looks of different great. mushrooms in here. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I was, what was I talking about? Um, so I, I went backstage. Yeah. Oh, we, so we just got the gold albums for uh, for for even worse, 
which had the the parody fat on it. Yeah. And I brought one to give to Michael Jackson. Oh. And he was very gracious. I mean, looking back on it, I'm sure it's like, oh, I'll throw this on the pile yeah, yeah, when yeah, I get yeah. back to the ranch, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How far do you get in a writing process before thinking, okay, I should probably ask for permission before I invest all of this time and energy into something? Or do you use complete things? Um, nowadays, not too far. I mean, again, back in the old days, when I was first doing it, I'd write the whole song because I figured, you know, who cares? And nowadays, and again, I get turned down very rarely. Most artists these days have a pretty good sense of humor well, about it. now, yeah it's, a, yeah, it's like a badge of honor, I would but think. still, there's the off chance that they'll say no. Right. And I, I spend a lot of time working on these parties now. I wrote another one, Rides the Bus, in like 20 minutes. But now, now I'll spend like weeks working on a silly song. So basically now... Uh, instead of like writing the whole thing out, I'll just pitch them on an idea. Like, okay. hey, we'd love to do a parody of this song, and here's here's the twist. The idea. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, 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 yeah. But now I I read that you you really had to like kind of track down Iggy Azalea, Azalea, Iggy Azalea. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> it's like a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> and uh, but you had you you presented her with lyrics when you finally did. Yeah. Yeah, but see her. That, that's the thing, though. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I like being able to get permission, but sometimes it's a real hassle. Like the same thing happened with, with uh, you know, with Nirvana, because like uh -huh. we weren't getting a response from them, so I had to basically stop Kurt Cobain and, and finally talk to him on the set of Saturday Night Live. Um, and Iggy, wait, why were you on the set of Saturday Night Live? I, I was. I called him on the phone. Okay. Oh, but he, got they're, you. They're, they're performing there for the first time. And you knew someone on SNL. That's correct. Yeah. So they put me on contact over the phone. My God. Uh, but but it's like, and I, I think I did that with MC Hammer. I went to an award show so I could bump into MC Hammer. I mean, this has happened on a number of occasions where, like, for whatever reason, we I couldn't, my manager couldn't get through to their reps, sure. and my manager would say, "If you want this, it's on you." Track them down. Now, I find this so interesting because not a lot of people know this about you. I, I do. And Eric warned me about this when I met you. He's like, <laughs> he's actually really shy and he's, you know, a lot quieter than you probably expect him to be, especially when you're meeting him for the first time. But having to do that, having to approach, you know, Gazelia backstage at our own show or call Kurt Cobain on the phone, that, that takes... A lot of balls. It's against everything, everything. in my nature. How did you? I am not that guy. No, I don't enjoy that. <laughs> my God, I just don't but understand. The Azalea thing was crazy because um, this is from my last album. She her her song was called Fancy. My parody was like Handy. It's like uh -huh. about uh, a handyman song, and um, it was the last song I had written for my mandatory fun album. So this would have been like 2014. And I needed this song to finish the album. And like, and basically, if she gave permission, we had an album. And if she didn't give permission, I did not have an album. Wow. Uh, and I, I found out, that, and again, it was the same thing where like, uh, she wasn't responding. We were getting nothing from her people. And I basically uh, went online and said, oh, she's playing Denver next weekend. I'm flying to Denver. No. So I flew in. I got, went backstage. I hung around backstage. Her, her road manager was awful. How did you get backstage? Um, well, I, I think I knew the promoter. Okay. But her road manager was awful. She was like, I was like, you know, I really need to talk to Iggy just literally for a minute. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, she's very busy. No, she'll be in London next month. You can see her there. Like, literally. Oh, like, my God. Oh, uh, yeah, let me get another plane ticket. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. And, uh, but I said, look, it was like, it was do or die. It was sort of like, I, I was watching Iggy Azalea from the side of the stage. She's doing, you know, performing to the masses. And I said, okay, I got to do this. So as she's walking off stage. I flew to Denver. I flew to Denver. No, I was there in Denver. <laughs> watching her perform, 
And uh, she walks off stage, and she's not even all the way off stage. And I'm like, Iggy, hi! It's a weird Al Yankovic. And uh, and I give her the whole pitch, like you know, I I I I wrote this song, uh, and and uh, I I just like to get your blessing on it because we need to record it like next week. Yeah. And she was like, Well, I I need to see lyrics, and I go, and they happen to be right here, and I bring them out of my pocket, and by this time, there's a crowd forming around us, oh and I think God. there was, like, even a TMZ camera that showed up, so there was documentation I of this. I love this. And she was a deer in headlights, and I feel a little bad about it, because she was very on the spot, but, uh... Have you said, heard from her since the, the song came out? I, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have her email. She's not on my Christmas card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Iggy, but, but no, it's but a, we, you're missing out. Get on the Christmas card list. Yeah, but, but she she, she said it was okay with her, and I yeah. called my manager 10 seconds later and said, It's go time. It's go time, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. My God. Do you remember vividly, like, the winning your first, em- uh, I was going to call it an Emmy. That's, that was me speaking out loud because I've ever won an Emmy, <laughs> hoping that someday I will. Uh, your first Grammy? Um, yeah, uh, it was. that was pretty wild. That would have been for Eat It. Um, it, it's kind of weird how they did it back then. They've, they changed it since, but back then it was just comedy recording. So okay. they had singles competing against albums. Okay. Like, how does that work? I don't know. Yeah. But I, I could be getting this wrong, but I think uh, that year I was up against like Rodney Dangerfield and Richard Pryor and like these, you know, incredible yeah, comedy icons. icons. And uh, and I won. So that yeah. was, uh, yeah, that, that, that was one of those kind of things where like, you know, I treasured that Grammy so much. It was like, <laughs> who presented it to you? Do you remember? I think it was Gary Owens, who was, you know, again one of my heroes. Do you know Gary Owens? I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. For the people that don't know, he was he was uh, the announcer on Laughing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I listened to him locally on. KMPC. I love your heroes. Your yeah. heroes are so great. Yeah. <laughs> and Gary Owens actually was the first person to uh, to uh, publicly say one of my jokes on the air. Because I was, I was like, you know, again, seven, eight years old, yeah. and uh, I, I would write little things and send it to him in the mail. And he said, "Oh, you got a letter here from Alfred Yankovic." He says, "Try tetramethylbenzocrypt, and ethylene is not what you think it is." Well, thank you, Alfred. I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, you said my name on the radio." <laughs> I love that you wrote in. You were the kid who wrote in things to the radio station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, jokes. That's really, really incredible. My God, it's so good. Um, I, um, I started watching. Um, weird, uh-huh. the the Daniel Radcliffe uh, movie. How would you say it's a it's a send up of those kind of uh, rock and roll biopics? Yeah, like all all the Oscar bait uh, music biopics. Sure, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was Mostly inspired by Bohemian Rhapsody because that had just come out and won the right. won the won the Oscars and everything else. But I think Rocket Rocket Man was a big influence. Rocket Man, and, 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 all, and all of them, like they're all the same. Yeah, every single one of those music biopics hits the same beats and the same tropes, and is basically the same outline. So it was pretty easy to lampoon. I that. didn't I didn't read a lot about the movie before watching it, and so I I didn't I thought I was gonna get like you know, kind of a accurate. Oh, good. And that, that was my hope. That and was I was hope. watching. I was like, "Wow, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know that." And then I was like, "Oh, I see what he's doing." Mm-hmm. And of course, it makes so much sense because look at your career and look what. Like, of course, that's the version of the the movie you're going to make. Because I, I assume you you wrote it. Yeah, right? I, I co-wrote it with Eric Capel, who directed it. Great, great. Yeah, I mean, I, I that that makes so much sense that that is the version of right. the, of your life story and that it's going to be. Um, you know, I mean, there's a scene when like Madonna comes over and begs you to write a song yeah. about <laughs> um, like a virgin, like right. do a parody of right. like a virgin, and then you end up like, you know, hooking up with her. Uh, I mean, it's just it's so over the top and so hilarious. But it cracks me up that like you know anything anything we do anything like that, which which most people yeah. would 
understand, oh, this is a joke, this is like uh, satire. There are always going to be people there that believe yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole thing. Like, you know, it, it, it amuses me to, to find, like, you know, couples getting into arguments like, you know, no, he really did kill Pablo Escobar. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so good. It's so good. I know I did a movie called Cocaine Bear. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, oh, thank you. Um, you know, part of that is true. There was a, a, a bear know, that yeah. ingested cocaine, and like, but then he went into cardiac arrest and died. He didn't like go on a killing spree, and people were like, no, no, they, they treated it like a documentary. <laughs> like, no, there was a woman, a, a, a forest ranger, who uh, he attacked in the back of a car, and she skidded her face across the pavement, and that's how she died. He chewed the leg off mm-hmm. of like, you know, a, a PETA activist. It's a documentary. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, please, no, no, no. Um, Thank you so much for doing this with me. I have I have something to show you though before you go. I hope I want you to sign this for me. Beckett has. <laughs> oh my goodness! A, a little, little red accordion. Yeah, a little red accordion. I don't even know if this is like an accordion that you can actually even play. It will make noise, but you can't play it you in can, any is real there, sense. Like, is it just buttons? And... <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Do it. <laughs> don't do that. That's what I won't do. But I wanted you to sign it for him because he loves it, and he's gonna he's gonna wonder why someone graffitied his um, his toys. You want but, it personalized? Yeah. What is his name? B Beckett. B E C K E T T. Um, but he'll he'll understand later that this is a very big deal. How old? He's three and a half now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Aw, thank you. I appreciate it, my friend. Um. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, this is so fun. Yeah. You know, you know it's like, it's like a podcast for how I like hang out with people now. Next time on Dinners on Me, you might know her from This Is Us, Dr. Death, or I don't know, maybe her 1999 hit single, Candy. It's Mandy Moore. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, not only do you get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen completely ad-free. Just click Try Free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and a kid named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hans Dale Shee composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Tamika Balance-Kolasny and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week.